Welcome to the ITAM Review Podcast, news, reviews and resources for ITAM, SAM and software licensing professionals. Welcome to the ITAM Review radio show for June 2020. My name is Martin Thompson from the ITAM Review. It's recording this on Tuesday the 30th of June. Welcome guys. Hi everyone. Hi Martin. Hi AJ. How are you doing? Hi, doing well thanks. It's all good. We've got a, a small but perfectly formed team this month. <laughs> Absolutely. First bit of industry news, IBM have extended the ILMT deadline. So they've uh, extended the deadline for users. So, so recall we covered it a few months ago that um, ILMT were removing Windows Server 2008 as a supported operating system. Sorry, IBM were removing Windows Server 2008 as a supported operating system on ILMT uh, or for subcapacity licensing. Uh, originally, that was supposed to happen at the end of July. They've now extended the deadline on that. Um, I guess that's uh, really with everything that's going on in the world with the global pandemic, they're trying to take the pressure off of customers potentially. Because um, I can imagine at this uh, at this particular juncture, there's probably not a huge appetite um, in IT departments to be worrying about doing upgrades from Windows Server 2008. So I, I think it is actually IBM showing a little bit of common sense there, if I'm honest, uh, being very sensible about things. Because at the end of the day, um, although they do have a bit of a reput- reputation as not being the most user-friendly organization to do business with, um, you know, they really don't want to antagonize probably half of their customer base at a single stroke at a, at a time of a pandemic, I don't think. Next bit of industry news, Flexera uh, are known for both their um, SAM or ITAM or license management business, but they also have a what they call a monetization business, which things like Install Shield, which helps software publishers actually protect and license their uh, IP. And they've renamed the monetization bit Revenera. Makes sense for them to um, go ahead and do it because actually monetization is going to become important. Um to, to that to that sector if you're because uh, they work quite heavily in, in, in SaaS subscriptions and, and managing all that kind of like billing uh, renewals and so on as well as um, traditional kind of license key management and so on so that's going to be important because people need to get or software vendors need to get money in the door um, brief story to tell on this was I didn't realize that for example um, Autodesk use Flexera technology for their license management servers quite often. Um, so when I was at Carnival, I um, thought, well, what's FlexNet doing on our, on, on, on our network? Because um, we were a Snow customer and, and FlexNet was deployed, but it was managing the licenses for um, the, our engineering software, for example. It makes sense to, to split the two because in, in many ways, they're sort of poacher and gamekeeper. One, one thing first, I'm just kind of intrigued here. In this context, who are the gamekeepers and who are the poachers? Well, yeah. <laughs> for me... For me, as a as a software license consultant that specialises in audit defence, the poachers are the software vendors, as far as I'm concerned, and I'm the gamekeeper. But they might see it a different way. But anyway, that's that's a whole other whole other argument. Um, I mean, personally, yeah, I, I think it would make more sense, as, as I just said, it would make more sense to spin them off as a separate entity because, for me, it represents a, a conflict of interest. Um, this this is the same scenario for me as. Um, you know, an, an independent, and, and I'm doing air quotes here, independent software asset management um, consultancy offering consultancy services 
on optimization of licenses to their customers, whilst at the same time um, making revenue from conducting uh, baseline reviews and audits from one of the software vendors. There, there is that conflict of interest there, and I, I think that's not necessarily a healthy place to be. Industry news, ServiceNow acquires Sweagle, S-W-Eagle, Software Eagle, Sweagle, however we want to pronounce it. I remember um, wrote the Practical ITAM book a few years ago, 2015, 2016, I think we published it in the end. And I remember writing at the time, I mean, this is, this is nearly five years ago, that CMDB was a good source of information for ITAM, but it was a unicorn for a lot of people, as in, you know, a lot of people be, believed in the CMDB principle, but not many people are actually doing it. Uh, and I'd love to get your opinion on, on if you think that's changed. Um, I, I've got to be honest, um, in all the years I've been working with different clients in different IT environments and using different tools, I've yet to see um, a fully accurate, fully integrated CMDB. I think it's still something that lots of people struggle with. Um, so this, it's an interesting move by, by ServiceNow, I think, because obviously they are in the process, as we know, of, of world domination when it comes to service management tools, and they're now trying to extend their reach into, into ITS management, or have been doing for some while. Um, and I always think that the CMDB is kind of the missing piece of the puzzle a little bit between service management and, and IT asset management, because both practices use it extensively. So being able to, to offer their customers a fully integrated service management solution all the way across that includes a really accurate, hyper, hyper usable CMDB and then an IT asset management tool set as well. That's got to be an exciting proposition for them, I would think. Yeah, it is that they, they um, base so much of um, their messaging and indeed solution around the CMDB being the golden source of truth. So that golden source of truth source of truth needs to be accurate, just the same as it does for, for any item. Absolutely. Yeah. Out there. You need to have that accuracy. <laughs> and if that's going to help it, then, then it's a good thing. Um, yeah, you know, the, 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 that's the whole go-to-market is we've got this discovery data in the CMDB um, that's available for all of our, across all of our pillars of, of, of service. So... Um, it has to be accurate. Another bit of ServiceNow industry news, they have Brexit-proofed their data centre and SaaS offering and splitting things between London and Newport rather than, I think it was London and Amsterdam. Yeah, I'm sorry, sorry, what, 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 what's this Brexit thing? <laughs> when, when was that? That's, that's, that's the thing that's going to smash us in the face on January the 1st next year, AJ. Oh, that's <laughs> Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So, coming back to the uh, nuts and bolts of this, they've um, so currently they have a pair of data centres, London and Amsterdam, um, I believe. And someone's obviously thought, "Oh, hang on a minute, uh, different jurisdictions potentially." So, um, yes, they've gone to um, split them between London and a new one in Newport, uh, Newport Wales, that is. Um, uh, South Wales, bit of a tech tech hub down there, and uh, so if you're a UK customer, your data will stay in the UK, and you'll be in London or Newport or both. Um, and then there's a second hub going up in Dublin to go for Dublin and Amsterdam. So obviously that's within the EU. Um, so this is all about data sovereignty and um, mm. making sure they're following whatever compliance laws apply. Now, I mean, currently the compliance laws are pretty much the same between the UK. And EU, there's no divergence at the moment, but in time there will be, and this, this future proof set, and also I would say probably keeps it um, 
know, a little bit closer in terms of physical distance, in terms of network speed and so on? I, I think it's really interesting as well, because I think, you know, I mean, you mentioned Microsoft uh, changing their, their new customer agreements to, to focus on Brexit, or maybe not focus on Brexit is the right way of putting it. But I think we're going to see a whole lot of this over the next few months where software vendors are, are suddenly changing all of their agreements. I mean, the one that always pops into my head specifically is VMware, having done uh, a lot of VMware work. Um, and, and their uh, deployment rights, obviously, as most people will probably know, unless you've got an ELA, you, you have to deploy in the area where you've bought the, or the country where you bought the software. For the purposes of the European Union, that's that's um, you know the European Economic Area, and obviously Britain represents a massive market for VMware, um, so they're going to have to change their agreements to, to focus around that and actually remove Britain from the uh, from the European Economic Area. And there'll be a lot of software vendors doing that. I would be amazed to see the differential between data center infrastructure for ServiceNow, the cost of it between London and Newport. Because with all due respect to our friends in Newport, it's, it's, uh, well. <laughs> Steady on. Uh, but it is, it, it is cheaper down there. It is cheaper labor. Uh, overall, it's cheaper. I, I, I worked down in Newport back in the, oh, was it my early or mid 2000s um, for a bit when I worked at Yellow Pages. Um, and they parachuted in a data, well, an ops center down there. And it's quite amazing. It was, uh, you know, it was on its uppers um, as as a town, and I think it's grown quite rapidly. Um, more acquisition news: Fleetsmith. For the uninitiated, what is Fleetsmith? Uh, Fleetsmith is a, a device management tool, um, primarily for Apple. Well, actually, solely for Apple devices. Um, so this is like a a mobile device management tool, um, configuration management tool. Uh, so yeah, pr- pr- primarily around mobile configuration management, which has always been a challenge on, on on Apple devices. Having tried to manage these for over for a number of years in a, in a previous previous job, uh, it's always a challenge. Um, I think the big player in this market for Ma- Apple at the moment is probably uh, Jamf, Jamf. Um, uh, they work very closely with Apple. Fleetsmith are probably a little bit smaller organization focused, but it lets you manage your Apple iOS devices and also Macs as well, um, iPads as well. Um, what that gives you is that very fine discovery and inventory data that you would you would get from a SAM tool um, for, for your end user devices, and you, and you can do clever things like lock them remotely, wipe them remotely, um, track them, and, and and so on. So, Apple have purchased Fleetsmith; um, they're bringing it in house. Um, is that, really is that, just, is that just kicks Jamf in the teeth? That's their core business, isn't it? Well, Jamf are pretty big, and Jamf work really closely with with Apple, as they all do, because they have to get, um, you know, they have to have close ties to be able to get into the operating system. As you know, Apple devices are very secure, very strong, strong privacy focus on them. I wonder what Apple will do with it. Um, whether they will just provide this as a service, and they'll be the only player in the market. Um, they certainly need to do something to improve their enterprise provisioning. Um, they've never really pushed enterprise um, management of devices that that heavily. And this whole idea that it's your iPhone on your Apple account, for example, that's always sat very difficult. Very, it's always been challenging for a personal device that's owned by the company with a personal Apple account on it, running personal software that's also a company device, and that's. Maybe that's what they're trying to solve here. Yeah. 
more industry news, Salesforce and Tanium, which is an interesting mix um, CRM platform. I know it does a lot more than CRM now, but it's a, it, essentially a, a CRM platform tying up with a peer-to-peer uh, -peer, uh, discovery and inventory, I guess you'd call Tanium, wouldn't you? Discovery network endpoint management, what would you call Tanium? Some of all that stuff, yeah. I, I'm not that familiar <laughs> with it. Bits of all of it, yeah. Um, but when you look at the um, when you look at the press release, um, you could almost change the the logo on the top and uh, a few few words, and it's straight down ServiceNow's throat. This one, um, now they're talking about modern workforce and enabling enabling remote working and workflows and automation and so on. So this is that's. ServiceNow's core message and really core business right now, um, and so this looks to me like Salesforce going up ahead, going up against them slightly. My understanding of Tanium, and it's been it's been a few years since I had a look at it, but it was um, rather than saying here's a server, you push out your agents, and all the agents talk back to the server about what's happening on the network. The agents all talk to each other. It's like peer to peer. So if you mm. did a um, and, and the reason that's cool is if you did a search of I'm looking for this particular file or this particular vulnerability, you can really scale the network very, very quickly and get really, really, really fast results. Um, but I, I don't see the logic. I don't see the logic here, to be honest. I think, yeah, I, I think it's just bringing, almost, they're almost building no, a new product around this in a way. Um, but the point is here, of course, that Salesforce, you said at the start, well, Salesforce, the CRM platform, it's the platform that's important. Um, CRM is just something that runs on Salesforce now. Um, yeah. And so they can do many other things. And, and that's where we're going. We're, we're going, no, these, these guys are the ERP systems of the future. Um, you know, the, the oracles and CAs of the world uh, from the 80s and so on. Um, 80s and 90s, I suppose. Uh, this is the, these, are, these are the new kids on the block. The only other bit of industry news I had was about the fact that lockdown was easing and many people are going back to the office. And what does the new IT management normal look like? I think this is a question that Matt brought up on the WhatsApp group. Mm. Any views on this? I, I think we're a, a way off of understanding what normal is or the new normal is, to be honest with you, because I think... The first priority for any IT asset management team at the moment is, is obviously going to be uh, towards understanding what assets were used during the lockdown, how they were used and where they all are. I mean, I know that there are lots of organisations that, um, you know, just wholesale through laptops at users to enable them to keep working uh, and may not necessarily have, uh, have done the work behind it to make sure they were tracking that because obviously the focus, the priority was on, was on service. You know, keep the business running, keep the lights on. That's the important thing. So I think if you're an IT asset manager, I think that's got to be your first priority is understanding where everything is and what people are using. I think the second priority as well has also got to be with one eye on the future, um, what software vendors are going to be coming to knock on your door to see what you've been using. I think at the moment, I mean, we've talked previously about, um, you know, software vendors that, that we've heard rumours about uh, auditing. Uh, we know that not that long ago, PwC published a report which uh, potentially advocated auditing coming out of the lockdown as a revenue stream for, for software vendors. So any, any forward-thinking IT asset manager has got to be thinking with one eye on the future and, and, and keep that in mind as well. 
the, in terms of Barry, the the the, yeah. log, the logic and the, and history, looking back to two thousand eight, says we will expect more audits. But is that happening in practice? Are you seeing that out in the field? Um, yeah. So I, I've had uh, probably two or three um, organisations where I have contacts, people I've previously worked with, uh, previous people that have engaged me for advice, that sort of thing. Um, where they've reached out and said we're being audited by vendor X. Um, so I have practically seen, you know, at least at least two or three audits that are happening with various vendors during the actual lockdown itself. Uh, obviously, I'm not going to name those vendors um, for fear of getting us all sued. <laughs> but um, I know it is happening. I, I suspect it's happening uh, far wider than than I've personally seen, as or any of us have personally seen. Um, but I think, you know, at the end of the day, there's there's an awful lot of software vendors that appear to do a public service by making uh, features and, and applications free to use for a certain period of time to help businesses out. At the end of the day, you know, software vendors do not thrive on um, doing the public good. You know, that doesn't pay the bill. So at the end of the day, they're going to be looking to collect on, on what they've done, I think, or at least converting some of the, some of the stuff that they've done that might appear on the surface of it, no, but at least converting that into future sales. Um, and obviously, as, as we all know, one of the best ways that they can drive sales and drive revenue and move users into the cloud is by auditing to see what they're currently using. So I think I think that's that's got to be thought about. But sort of coming back as well, I think you know, working practices. You know, I mean, obviously for the last three or four months, um, we've had huge swathes of people, huge numbers of people working from home keeping businesses going and, and there's going to be a lot of big businesses that are probably going to look at that and think do you know what actually maybe this is possible now i've worked with lots of large organizations in the past where you had to be in the office purely uh, for you know uh, keeping the team together enabled creative thinking all that sort of stuff but actually it's because they didn't trust people to work at home and if, if organizations and their end users are now proving that they can keep the business going and keep doing their jobs in an isolated environment you know, is there really a practical reason to turn around to, to organisers and say, no, you still can't work from home, you've got to come back into the office? And I've, so I've, I, I think that will be a really interesting conversation. I've heard more than one person say that they're actually working harder than ever because they're not used to working at home. So they're working the time they used to commute and when they used to commute yeah. in the evening and they're trying to justify the fact they're working at home, which is, you know, yeah. toxic. I mean, so speak, speaking from my own experience, because obviously, you know, although... Um, as a consultant, I still do go and visit clients, you know, um, two or three days a week, I'm out on the roads often, but I'm used to working from home. So actually this, this last three months hasn't presented a, a massive challenge for me personally. I mean, when we spoke about this on the podcast a couple of years ago, I was probably, you know, the one person sat with my feet up on the desk saying, I haven't got cabin fever. I'm quite serene about all this. So, you know, um, and I actually, I, in my own experience, I, I find it a lot less stressful working from home. I find there's a lot fewer distractions. You know, you don't have people wandering by your desk and, and stopping to chat. You don't have uh, the noise going on around you necessarily, which for some people may be odd, working in a really quiet environment. For me, it's great. I just get my head down and, and get on with it. So I, I find that I work harder at home as well. Yeah, I, I think um, you, you're right. Will people return to the office? Um, if they're going to be running lower density offices, which seems quite likely, you know, I, yeah. you know, those days of six desks, sort of back to or front to front, I suppose, across a partition, they're gone. Mm. Um, for those organisations that are running desktops, does that then mean that we need to move maybe a bit more towards virtual desktops? 
uh, VDI solutions and so on, obviously the licensing implication there around Citrix and, and, Absolutely. and where you're going to have your sessions stored on a server so you can work anywhere. Um, yeah. That might be a really big push for doing VDI properly. Suddenly there's a reason to deal with all the hassle around um, deploying VDI. Yes, absolutely tracking all those assets that have left the building. Um, I heard plenty of people going, being told, oh, go in and just collect your laptop and, and your monitor and your desk riser and your, and your keyboard and your mouse yeah. and chuck it in the back of your car and take it home. Are they insured? Do we know where they are? Um, do we know when they're coming back? And equally as well, for organizations that have had layoffs, are we getting all that kit back? And if business then picks up in the autumn, how do we onboard 300 new staff really rapidly? Um, I've worked in those teams. Those teams are set up to, to manage a certain level of turnover, be that 10, 15% of the workforce a year or whatever. So you can't suddenly onboard 300 new employees um, just because you, things have gone back to normal and business has picked up and you, you need all those support staff. That's a real challenge um, that you need to solve. And some yeah. store all that kit as well, potentially. If you've gone out and, and bought a bunch of Chromebooks or whatever from PC World, um, where where are they? Are they going to come back in the office and be stored somewhere? Um, sanitization process as well. Um, for old kit, you actually need to sanitize it, as in medically sanitize it. So, yeah, it's not all ITAM stuff, but it's all around managing those assets. Do you yeah. need to sanitize it? Can you not just leave it for 72 hours? Is that is that overkill, sanitizing a device? You you probably could leave it for 72 hours, probably maybe, you know. Um, it probably would take that long for anyone to get to it, to be honest. It'll be you know, dropped off on a Friday, potentially looked at on a Monday, and uh, the average desktop engineer is going to take a while to get to that stuff. I, I mean, I, I, I do know organizations that would routinely throw away keyboards even before this because keyboards are just this kind of, biohazard <laughs> absolutely. At, at the best of times well. yeah absolutely so, you know you always used to get a new keyboard and a new mouse even if you had the same yeah. desk unit but i was i was it's interesting actually you mentioned the um people taking kit out of offices as well because there's, there's one organization i've been working with um during the lockdown and they specifically had to put a security policy in place to stop people taking monitors out of offices because obviously when you've got a large workforce that's used to being in an office and they don't really have they or they, they may not have the facilities at home to enable them to work from home accurately people are going to take what they think they need um so they ended up having to put out a security security note saying you may not do that unless you've got special permission you know and i think that what they tended to focus on was the um you know the, the the accessibility rights where where people may need certain equipment for to, to help them cope with their own disability and that's what they actually allowed in here hmm. but yeah it's interesting I, I just think as well the other dimension is obviously a lot of businesses are going to be looking to to make savings over the uh, over the coming months uh to get them back up to speed again and one way to do that is by cutting down an office space potentially so is are we going to get businesses actually looking more seriously at home working as a, as a potential solution to allow them to reduce costs um, Barry, I'd like to come to an article that <laughs> you flagged. You, I think it was in Forbes. It was, yeah. Um, and it's, I think in, in summary, this article was talking about new cloud technologies and the demise of virtual machines. Uh, but we also, it'd be interesting just your, both of your, you guys take on this in terms of not necessarily the specific technology, but 
it'd be fantastic if we were more proactive around these sorts of technologies and mm -hmm. in trying to manage them rather than letting them, rather than trying to manage them once the horse is bolted and they've reached, reached mass appeal. So um, maybe okay. could you maybe just have a go at Cerberus via the medium of cake? Like Jargon Buster. <laughs> Jargon Buster! By the medium of cake. It had to be via the medium of cake, didn't it? Do you know what? I, I was struggling with this one. Um, I, I was actually going to come back and speak about that article first. Can we do the, can we do the Jargon Buster cake bit afterwards? Yeah, sure. Cool. So um, the article itself. So I, I thought it was really interesting, which is one of the reasons I tweeted it, because it was uh, written by a chap called uh, Tolga Tarhan. Um, he is a senior VP at Rackspace. So he's, he's a real technology uh, guru. And he's, he's also a member of Forbes Technology Council. Um, so he, he's, he's a really, when someone like him writes something like this, it's worth paying attention to. But the article itself was great because it was the first time I've seen anyone so succinctly um, describe the way that um, technology is changing right now. Uh, now, for me, the, the shift into serverless computing is it's as big a pivot as the shift into virtualization was a decade and a half, decade and a half ago, you know, except um, this is actually being, I think it's a little bit more gradual than maybe physical servers into virtual, virtual servers was um, because you've taken st steps here as well. So, I mean, containerization, um, which a lot of people will talk about and say it's actually fairly new and this that, and the other. I mean, Docker uh, came onto the market six, seven years ago, I think. So containers have been there for a while, but actually, if you want to go right back into the midst of time, um, you had organizations like IBM um, and um, Sun doing containers a long time ago, you know. Um, but containerization is almost that step into serverless computing. So actually, we now got to, to, to serverless computing, and, and it's, it's fascinating because you've got to the point where technology is finally starting to meet the demands of society because serverless computing is all about um, you know, meeting instant demand, instant gratification, almost. So, um, via the medium of cake, if we can, if we well, can do well, that. Hold on, before before you go to cake, what, yeah. what's what, what's a good use case for serverless? Um, so, first as well, one thing we should say as well, serverless computing is a bit of a misnomer um, because it, it still uses servers in the data center. It's just that as a business, you don't really see them. So it's. Uh, it's a platform that's provisioned to you by a cloud provider. Let's take AWS, for example. So AWS have a service called Lambda, if anyone's heard of it. So AWS Lambda is a serverless platform. So what it enables you to do, you can't see the infrastructure behind it. They run everything in the background, and it just enables you to deploy bits of code that will be there on demand onto that platform. So, for example, an event, it's, it's almost, well, it is event-driven. So an event will happen that will trigger that bit of code to run, it then runs itself and it shuts down and that's it. It's, it's that simple. So, and it, it could be applied to anything. Um, I mean, you take a, 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 a mobile phone app like Instagram, for example. Now, I'm not saying that I know for a fact this is how Instagram op operates because I don't, but it's something they could do. So if somebody takes a photo, they want to upload it to Instagram. There could be a bit of cloud, a bit of code sitting on a serverless platform that sees that photo being uploaded um, formats all the photo, bang, post it onto the, the website for you, and then it shuts down. The huge advantage with serverless is it's the same thing as we had with the shift from physical to virtualization. It's about cost and wasted resources. So obviously, 
the big sell for virtualization was, well, look, you can now put five, the workload, five, six, seven, eight, ten servers onto a single physical server. You're reducing your costs across the board. Well, this is what, um, this is almost the cloud version of that because the first use cases for, for cloud platforms were infrastructure as a service. So actually you're gonna put your virtual machines into a cloud platform, but actually now serverless allows you to reduce the cost because instead of actually paying for a VM to run and you're running an application on that VM and you know, it's gonna have some time where it's just sitting there idling. This is now a bit of, it's, it's, it's a microservice. It's a bit of code, it runs, it shuts down. And when it's not running, you're not paying for it. So it's actually really squeezing data center and cloud costs, really squeezing them down to, to you know, just exactly what you need to pay for. So it's, it's, it's fascinating technology. It's, it's ultimately, it's gone full circle. And this is going back to time sharing on mainframes. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you, you've, you've got your punch card program, which you've written offline, and you chuck it in the machine, and it, ex- it executes it for you. You take your card out, and then someone else uses it. That's effectively what you are showing your age there, AJ. You're going to have to explain uh, exactly what a punch card is. Uh, well, well, <laughs> okay. So it could go on magnetic tape, I suppose, if you have to. I mean, we're not going to get into uh, grid memory or anything like that because that would be really old. But um, punch yeah, card, so I, I, punch I card by the medium of cake. <laughs> Good luck with that one. It's, it's a cake with loads of holes in it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, the, the other thing as well, I mean, this this signal, so we, we've seen this change coming for the industry for a while, because obviously SaaS has made I, the future of ITAM more about cost management. Um, but we've always looked at information, uh, sorry, um, infrastructure as a service of thought, well, actually, if you want to do bring your own license onto IAAS platforms, da, 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 you, know, you still need to do traditional IT asset management, even though it's in cloud, or traditional software license management, even though it's in cloud. This is going to signal the end of that because we're going to get to the point where every business, every application, they'll be architecting new applications and it'll all be set up in microservices and containers and bits of code um, that are self-developed and you won't need to use bring your own licensing to make them run. So it's going to it's going to be a huge, huge change to the industry. Everything is just all going to be about cost management. Obviously, you've still got the the end user IT asset management that has to go on, such as we were just talking about, but in the infrastructure, it's it's a massive change. But it won't be quick. It, it definitely won't happen quickly because I think um, in that article, actually, um, Tolga said one of the things you can't do, you cannot easily shift a traditional server-based application into something like this. It's, it works so much more effectively if you just build something new from the ground up. Yeah. So but over the next 10, 15 years, you know, we'll, we'll be doing this podcast in, in, you know, 2035 going, do you remember when we shifted into serverless computing and it'll be the next big thing? Then. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, you know, it's definitely it's something you build from the ground up. So any of those startups or those millions of startups around, if one of those suddenly becomes the next service now, for example, then Absolutely. they will have built their architecture serverless. Yeah. That's how you do it now. If you're straight out of college, that's how you build an application. Um, yeah, and therefore a product. So it will be a while. Um, what's the so what's the impact for um, for us as IT asset management professionals? What, what what do we need to worry about managing here? I suppose great question. question. Great question. I do I do think it, it does put the the focus much much more on the cost again. Um, 
you know, potentially. Um, but I think I think one of the other things as well is, is a wholesale uh, pivot when it comes to service transition and, and so on and so forth. Obviously, we're, we're familiar with DevOps. It's been around for a little while now. But so few organizations truly run um, agile on, on DevOps. And I mean, you, you traditionally, in a, in a traditional data center environment, you will have your, you know, your dev and test and your um, pre-production environments, UAT and all that sort of stuff, and then production. That is all going to be a thing of the past. You know, that's, that's gone because people are going to write code, put it onto a cloud platform like Lambda, play about with it a bit, make sure it works. And then I say it'll, it'll go out live, you know, and it, it's this huge, really um, quick evolution and turnaround in, in projects and new applications. I think um, the register calls it continuous life cycle is, is what they call it. Um, and it's, it is, it's, it's the future. It's very exciting. And I think it, it may leave a fair bit of uncertainty in the IT asset management business um, in the industry. But I think it's all about us us all needing to adapt and, and make sure that we're there ready to, to take up arms uh, and make sure that the businesses we work for are represented and, and sorry, are, are protected. Cool. Do you want to have a go at cake then? This this is a tough one. This is really a tough one. How do you, how do you describe serverless computing with cake? Given everything I've just said, um, the only thing I can I can really think of is rather than it being a particular type of cake, it's it's the way you are served that cake in a bakery or a coffee a coffee shop or whatever you you go in. It's literally I want that cake on demand. It appears you eat it done. Well, I, I tell you it's, what, that's a that's a really bad analogy. No, I'm, I'm, I tell, I've got an analogy which is, and it's not strictly cake, but it, you know, in um, in Pizza Hut, you can go in and you can have just the ice cream straight out the thing. And if, yeah. you were, if you were Homer Simpson, you could literally get, 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 your, get your mouth under the um, dispenser. And that is, I, I, that's like ice cream on demand, isn't it? You're not buying, you haven't got, yeah. a, you haven't got a provision, a box or a cone. You're just getting ice cream on demand. The, the only other way I could think of it, now I'm not going to ask AJ this question because I already know what the answer is going to be. But Martin, do you remember the food synthesizers on Star Trek? No. Yes. I knew you were there, Jay, because you're a geek like me. You know, that, that makes me think of a song now. <laughs> um, so in, in, in the original series of Star Trek, back in the 60s, Martin, the, the way they solved food problems in, in they're in deep space for five years, they had food synthesizers on the ship. So basically, the crew could go to the food synthesizer, say, I want that. The food would be created specifically for them. They'd go away and eat it. And that's what this is. This is a consumer saying, I want this bit of code to, to I want to run this, the bit of code's already there, you know, because the synthesizer on Star Trek was able to, was already pre-programmed to create that item of food, and that's what this does. Yeah. So you know, on demand, I want that to run. It runs. It shuts down. End of. Apparently, um, is it Antarctica or the Arctic? I forget which. And the, the law is you're not allowed. No, Greenland. You're not allowed to. You're not allowed to eat anything <laughs> from Greenland. So. <laughs> I, I have to say, Martin, that I've I've been on this planet nearly fifty years, and that's the first time I've ever heard anyone confuse Greenland with Antarctica. <laughs> oh, it's it's at the top and it's a bit icy, isn't it? Yeah, but Antarctica's at the bottom. So, you know. cuts, anyway, sorry. Cuts. Let's put that. In. Cuts. No, no, you can't. Cut that. <laughs> yeah, apparently you can't you can't consume anything from. Greenland itself. So when they're doing expedition and experiments, they have to take all their food with them. Um, 
Yeah. I, I wasn't aware of that. Yeah. I, I was not aware of that. Was this was this before or after Donald Trump made his bid to buy Greenland? <laughs> um, job of the week. Job, job of, of the week. week. We're looking at global software asset manager at the ADECO Group. Um, a little bit confused by this one. It says London, but I think the I think ADECO based out of. Switzerland, and I'm not crystal clear about where. Does it say where the role should be? I'm not sure if it does. Does it? It doesn't. No, I mean it says London, but uh, yeah, like you say, they're primarily Swiss, aren't they? So the thing that really stood out for me on here is that they, they specifically appear to be focusing on uh, Microsoft um, because the role or, or the advert specifically calls for someone to take the lead on uh, managing Adeco's Microsoft software assets. Uh, both on-prem and in the cloud. So, you know, potentially that could involve uh, cost management on Azure. Um, I would hazard a guess that's going to involve taking the lead on their Microsoft 365 stack as well. Um, but it's just intriguing that they specifically called out Microsoft and no other software vendors. So, um, I mean, I guess the question there is either they are only really focused on Microsoft or they have other global sand leads uh, taking lead taking the taking the lead on, on other vendors potentially but they they obviously want someone with a bit of experience eight to ten years of commercial software asset management experience in large corporate environments so they're, they're taking it very seriously and uh, they're looking for people with Microsoft qualifications as well so uh, you know they, they they seem to know eight, the right questions to ask sorry go on Martin. eight eight to ten years of commercial sam experience in large corporate environments Absolutely. So yeah, so that's, gonna be, that's a big... Going to be paying top whack for that, aren't they? You would think. Yeah, you would think. I mean, I, I can't imagine that that's, they're going to be looking to pay anything less than you know really good market rates for that role because uh, because of the skills they're asking for and the experience they're asking for, it, I it think. It doesn't quite sit right with me, though, because this is almost like a senior licensing analyst role. Why do you need the detailed Microsoft Knowledge. I mean, they're asking for Microsoft licensing sales specialist or Microsoft licensing sales expert qualifications. Mm. It's being advantageous. Well, that sounds like at the coalface, getting your hands dirty, um, you know, managing complex environments and so on. But yeah, it doesn't quite fit the job title for me. But I, I agree. But would, if you think about their business, their recruitment business, right, if, effectively, I'm sure there's more complex things they do, but effectively their recruitment business, and what, what technology do they actually need? They're, they're, people, they're, they're people and they're selling people, aren't they? So yeah. they're not going to need complex engineering apps, are they? Or it's probably majority of it is on the Microsoft stack, maybe? There'll be a Microsoft stack and there'll be teams to manage lots of SaaS, you'd imagine. Um, yeah, um, branch offices still to do i guess they have branch offices um around so it's it's complex meaty role I, I just wonder wonder what level they're looking for um it sounds like it's a senior role but um maybe it's actually designed for a senior license licensing expert um, senior licensing analyst that sort of level yeah i mean maybe it is a case as you say of them having all of their uh, Sam eggs in the Microsoft basket potentially, um, and and that's why it's uh, so Microsoft focused. As I say, it's interesting that with the the level of experience and skills they're asking for, they're clearly taking that role very very seriously. Um, you know, and, and as Martin said, they're going to have to 
have to pay a fairly decent whack to get that level of experience. It says working, you know, so. working within the global IT production asset and contract management team. So you're, they're looking, I think they're looking for a Microsoft specialist, mm. but with lots of experience, basically, with a bit of clout, aren't they? So yeah. it's not a global asset manager role with a team, by the sounds of it. It's a senior, it's a senior SME, I think, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Someone, someone to take the lead on, on specifically on Microsoft and potentially uh, consult and advise upwards. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. It's not often not often you see a role like that in an end user organisation. No. You know the, the the level of specialism there. You would expect that to be more of a consultancy uh, type role. But uh, yeah, no, it's interesting. So that's a wrap. That's the end of the radio show. Thanks for listening. A couple of things before we finish. Uh, we've set up a WhatsApp group for radio show listeners. So this is an opportunity to uh, share any interesting news or topics you'd like to see us cover and generally geek out and share all things ITAM. So if you want to join that group, please visit bit.ly, that's B-I-T dot L-Y, bit.ly, forward slash ITAM radio show. So that's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash ITAM radio show, all one word. And if you want to reach out to us and suggest uh, new topics or be a, be a, a contributor or to be a guest, please email support at itassetmanagement.net. Thanks for listening. Cheers.